Father in heaven, Father, we do thank you for uh, Max being here and what he's learned recently and what you're, even now, Lord, what you're going to do through him and each one of us. Your plans are so far beyond us, so much greater than we can even imagine. But Lord, we're just thanking you that we have been called to have this uh, privilege of taking the yoke of Christ and seeing souls saved. I want to lift up hope, Lord. I pray that uh, you would be with the doctors in that situation and just give them special wisdom. And Father, whatever, uh, uh, however this situation unfolds, I pray that you would just guide it step by step. Ultimately, Lord, I know that you are seeking the salvation of every one of us. And uh, I pray that we would just be open to your leading and we ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Okay, we talked about the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing us conviction of right and wrong and leading to decision. What I want to talk about now is spotting conviction. And this is really important. A lot of people don't realize, but we can't see the Holy Spirit. We can't read the heart, but we can spot conviction. I want you to see this in Luke chapter, not Luke, John chapter 3, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 3. And I need to do this more quickly than I'm accustomed to doing it. I'm telling myself that now because I, as with everything in the camp meeting session, uh, just, so, just so you're aware of it, if for any reason you wish that you had a lot longer session you could go to, in August we're doing 14 days and we're doing 14 fuller days and we're going to cover a lot more of the Bible doctrine topics and what have you. And um, if you're interested in that, you can let us know. Pastor Daniel is going to be here August, uh, July 31 to August 13, uh, right here. Um, Pastor Daniel, uh, did you get the memo from, it was Youth, youth Tent? Is Steve Silva for tonight? Okay, talk to me after the break. Um, he wants us to promote that tonight in Youth Tent. It's $100, and if you've come to this session and paid for this session, uh, and you wanted to do that, we'll discount the amount you paid for this session. So it'd be like, what is it, 35 here? So it'd be 65. Okay, which is, I'm going to tell you something. We charge $500 for this session, typically. And we are, we are the, the conference is supplementing that amount because we're aiming at, a young, uh, uh, at young people in general. Uh, it's not limited by any means. And they don't often have as much expendable income. And so anyway, it's how we decided to do it. You couldn't even get the food for that. You've got your lodging for that. You've got food. We're feeding you. My wife's going to be doing the cooking, which is fantastic um, stuff. And uh, the whole, anyway, so you can ask me more about that. But we've got the August session coming up. We've got an on-site in Lansing we're doing for 10 days in um, September. We've got a weekend at Camp Osable coming up in November. We have a speaker training again this next year. So we have a number of things coming up. A Mar we have a session in March that's going to be here this next year. So that we, do, I don't, we don't have the dates nailed down for that. You can check our website. We, have, we typically do two 10-day sessions a year. This session is a lot more, it's five days and it's less time during the day because we're trying to give you we, you know, some people have expressed, in fact, some people didn't even come because they're like, I don't want to miss out on camp meeting. Well, we wanted you to be able to get to some of the seminars and do some of the things and the evening speakers, so we've changed that up a little bit. But um, 
uh, anyway, so I've heard some people ask. I wanted you to be aware of that. John chapter 3, Jesus has this encounter with Nicodemus. The whole reason I started into that is I was telling you how short we are in time and everything here is condensed and I took more time to do that. I do that to myself all the time. Okay, so Jesus, now notice you've read this before, but Jesus talks about, about being born of the Spirit. Look at verse 5. Jesus answered, Nicodemus said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Now notice verse 8 especially. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now what Jesus is saying is this. Just like the wind, I can't see wind. All I can see about, I can feel the wind, I can see the effects of the wind, but I can't see the wind. And Jesus says, this is the way it is when a person is under the working of the Holy Spirit and the conviction, what have you. You can't see the Holy Spirit, but you can see the effects of the Holy Spirit. And uh, this, this, was this is one of the most revolutionary things I ever learned. Now, maybe you already know it. Maybe you've already, already heard it. But I never realized this about conviction. And the first thing it helped me to see was things in myself. And then, of course, because conviction, <laughs> conviction has to start here before you're worrying about anybody else's conviction. And um, I want you to look at your manual on page 30. There's a section called Recognizing Conviction. I want you to notice what it says about Jesus as he ministered to people. Under Recognizing Conviction, there's a quote there from Desire of Ages. It says, Jesus did what? Jesus watched. What did he watch for? Jesus watched with deep earnestness the changing countenances. That's the expressions on the face. The changing countenances of his hearers. Why were they changing? Because of what was being said. He's preaching, he's watching, and he's seeing what happens when he preaches. The faces that expressed interest and pleasure gave him great satisfaction. As the arrows of truth pierced, the, pierced to the soul, breaking through the barriers of selfishness and working contrition, and finally gratitude. Notice how the contrition and then the gratitude, finally gratitude. Uh, Elder Jay Gallimore has said before that when you preach the gospel, oftentimes the effects go like this. First, the people get mad. No, no, yeah. First they get mad, then they get sad. And finally, they get glad. Sometimes a person isn't excited right away to hear the truth, but when they let it, when they reflect on it, and the Holy Spirit works on them, it says here, Jesus watched, and, and um, the barriers of selfishness, working contrition, and finally gratitude. It came about to where they were preaching the truth. He said, it says the Savior was made glad as he saw this. But notice, when his eyes swept over the throng of listeners, why is his eyes sweeping over the throng? He's watching. He's watching. You need to be watching when you're working with somebody. Watching. What are you watching for? When his eyes swept over the throng of listeners and he recognized among them the faces he had before seen, his countenance lighted up with joy. He saw in them hopeful subjects for his kingdom. When the truth plainly spoke and touched some cherished idol, he marked the change of countenance, the cold forbidding look, which told him the light was unwelcome. 
Do you know you've had that look before? Everyone in this room has had that look before at some point. We don't think about it when we're going through it. But it's what we do when we resist, when the Holy Spirit is pointing out something we don't like. It's not like we're smiling about it. That's when we're hearing the sermon and say, hey, wait a minute. Or it could, it isn't a sermon. It could be something, I hate to go here, but it could be something your husband said to you or your wife said to you. The Lord uses a lot of ways to speak to us. And you're like, how dare you? And it may just be, it could be something your enemy says to you. You know, this is something you really need to think about. The devil knows where your problems are, and sometimes he brings them to your enemy, so your enemy can bring them up to you, and you figure, hey, because my enemy said it, I'm not going to listen to it, and then he's just derailed you. It doesn't matter who says it. When somebody points something out, we need to ask one simple question. Is it true? Is it true? doesn't matter where it came from. We need to get out of our pride. What Jesus saw here, he spoke the truth. He marked the change of countenance, the cold forbidding look, which told the light was unwelcome. When he saw men refuse the message of peace, his heart was pierced to the very depths. He watched the response of people. Now, what kind of responses do we have? I've listed some below. And I want you to notice, especially, there are two columns. There's a negative column and there's a positive column. What that is pointing out is simply this. People respond to the Holy Spirit in two different ways. They either are open to what the Holy Spirit is pointing out or they're resistant to what the Holy Spirit is pointing out. Okay, So in other words, the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction and I have a willingness to yield, then my response is going to be positive. But if the Holy Spirit is pointing something out and I'm resistant, my response is going to be negative. But don't miss this next part. Both are evidences of conviction. And any time there's conviction, it's a doorway to conversion. And the reason that's important is this. Look at some of these, some of these evidences. Let's look at the uh, positive ones first. These are the ones we like to see. I'm studying with somebody. They're coming to a series of meetings. My friend is coming to church or whatever. And what do you see in them? Joy. They're just, they're more joyful than you've seen in a long time. They're just so happy now. Uh, we, had a, we have a guy right here. He's a backslidden uh, member who started coming back to church. And he told us, you know, he said forever, I've watched people go around here, church members, and they're all smiling and everything else. I'm like, what's wrong with those people? And he said, now I know. Now I know. He just feels joyful as he's coming back to the truth. Well, that's great. We love to see that. Repentance. A person's, you know, what shall I do to be saved? They realize their, 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 their weakness and their sinfulness, and they want to come to Christ. Oh, we want to see that tears of repentance, and they want to reform their life for Jesus. They want to turn, make that turn. That's what repent means. You know that? It means to turn. They're doing about face. Personal application. They're listening to things, and they're coming out from the sermon last night and saying, you know what? I need to go and deal with some things in my freezer. I need to go and, and they're making application. Well, when you're teaching somebody and you're in the study and they're saying, you know what I did this week? You do the study on, on health and you come the next week and they say, guess what I did this week? I got, you know, last week I told you about all that sausage I had in the, I got rid of it, all of it. Well, what's that telling you? They're applying the truth. You're excited about that. Because you see that they're applying the truth. Sometimes they'll tell you about things they're applying and you haven't even taught them about it yet. 
And you know the Spirit of God is working and they're making those positive changes. Can't stay away. This is a person, all of a sudden, they just want to be around. They're at church, they're at prayer meeting, they're at any kind of meeting you have. They come to your board meeting because it's an open board, just because they can come. They're all around all the time. Those are, all these are evidences. Excitement, friendliness, lifestyle changes, making restitution. They, they tell you about somebody they wronged a long time ago and they, they, they took some far, you know, yard tool and broke it and just figured, well, I didn't deserve it anyway, da, 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 da. And now they say, you know, I just went and then, or they stole something from somebody and somebody never knew and they call their employer from 10 years ago, 15 years ago to give money back that they took. You know that something is happening there and that's, those are all evidences to you. People don't do that without the Holy Spirit. You need to learn, if you want to be effective in soul winning, you've got to be able to spot where the Spirit's working because if, just be clear on this, if the Spirit is not working there, you're not going to be successful. If the Spirit doesn't have access, you're not getting anywhere with it. This is why when we talk about categorizing your interests, we'll talk about this more Friday morning, tomorrow morning, but when you're categorizing your interests, this is what you're talking about is trying to find out who's really receptive to the Spirit and who's not. And you want to spend your time, the bulk of your time and energy with the people that are making decisions. That doesn't mean you've cut off the other people, but you want to put your energy where that energy is, is, is needed. Because I'll tell you this, when a person comes under conviction, you have a window of opportunity. People don't stay convicted forever. If a person gets convicted about something, they're going to make a decision one way or the other. And when they do, the conviction wears away. If they go the wrong way, the they can be convicted all about the Sabbath. If they've found a way around it, then the they, they, we learn how to do that. Put off the conviction, and then we're back in our old routine, and you know what? It's that much harder to awaken conscience on that area again. And that works that way with you and me, too. That's why when the Lord reveals something and I say, you know, I'll get to that later, that's dangerous. You're playing with something you don't want to play with. And so, when conviction comes, um, you know, these are all evidences. We want to be able to spot that conviction. If we can spot conviction, then we can see that the Holy Spirit is working there, and then I can know that that's a place where I could have success. I can, the Lord can use me in the, that context, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, to lead somebody to decision. Restitution, peace, um, and, and some of these things are something somebody would express to you in conversation, perhaps. You're not necessarily going to see that they have a sense of peace. They may just tell you, I just feel more peaceful than I have in a long time. Well, you know, that's an evidence to you. Silence. Silence. You'll notice on the on list, silence, tears, and questions on, the, on both lists, the last three things. Tears, silence. Silence can be a reflective silence, or silence can be an angry silence. Silence. Tears can be tears of repentance. Tears can be tears of anger and frustration. Questions can be earnest questions. Or questions can be irritated questions, like Nicodemus. When Nicodemus told Jesus, uh, so what am I supposed to do? Uh, uh, crawl up in my mother's womb and, and come out again? This man was not an unintelligent man. That was not an intelligent question. That was an irritated question. It was a sarcastic question. Okay? But it was conviction. It was his response of conviction. Okay, So you see those on both lists. But positive, that's what we want. When I say we, that's what we want, the reality is we want both. We want either or. But personally, you know, I don't want the negative side. But you have to understand that the negative side 
is what happens with a lot of people. Some people, there are some people whose personality doesn't know how to respond positively to anything. You may have met negative people. You might have a negative bent yourself. That's all they know how to do with responding to the Holy Spirit initially. Understand that. So some people, they're going to respond with sorrow. Uh, they're going to be sad when they hear the truth. They're not following it. They're going to be discouraged. Think of the rich young ruler. What does the Bible say when Jesus addressed the rich young ruler and told him what he needed to do to enter into life? He went away sorrowful because Jesus said the wrong thing. No, Jesus said the right thing. And don't miss this. See, here, this, here, this is why this is important. For many of us, if you brought a friend to church and they heard the sermon and after the sermon they were crying and they were hurt, what would your initial response be? You know full well what it would be. You're going to sympathize with them. And you know what you're doing? You're sympathizing with the devil. That's exactly what you're doing. The Spirit of God comes in, works on their heart, brings conviction, they manifest evidence of conviction, but because so many of us don't understand how this process works, we end up on the enemy's side. Oh, there, there, I don't know what happened. I don't know why the pastor, he should have never preached that sermon. And we just whoosh, took the conviction away. You got to be careful. And I'm not saying that pastors don't say the wrong thing or something might not be said wrong sometimes. Don't, don't assume because somebody's upset that you did everything right, but don't assume that if somebody's upset that everything was done wrong. You've got to learn to understand that people respond differently to conviction. Yeah. Well, if a person is... is oh, absolutely. Uh, don't, don't be like, hey, I'm not going to give. But don't... What happens is... If, don't side with them. If you, one, of the, one of the best areas for you to find interests to study with are missing members. If you have a missing member who's on your church books that hasn't been to church in a while... It's a, it's a great place to find somebody to study with. A lot of missing members are missing because they were hurt by something that happened in the church. And, and, and so the, the, here's the challenge. When you go and visit a missing member, you're, and as soon as you say you're from the church, whatever happened probably happened when, when the people aren't even there anymore that that, that that thing happened under. They don't even go to the church anymore or whatever else. But you visit that person and you say you're from the church, you just, they're going to unload on you. Nine times out of ten. Oh, you know, well, here's why I don't go to church. But they need to get it out. The danger is this. I've had, in, in Don Gray, I don't know if you know the name Don Gray, but uh, the, the late Don Gray at this point, um, he, he, he's put together a whole lot of soul-winning materials, but this was a big emphasis of his was reclaiming missing members. And there were two ways that, has anybody looked for, I think Wes shared that book the other day, Pastor Wes, um, you Are My Witnesses by Don Gray. Did anybody look for that in the ABC? Anyway, it's a great book, little book on soul winning, just going over the basic stuff we're going over here. But Don Gray always said there were two things you want to say when you visit in those situations because people will tell you their problems. Well, I was there and this elder did this to me and, and, or this person did that. And, I, and the problem you have is you weren't there. You don't know what happened and you're getting one side of the story. And what you don't want to do is sympathize with what allegedly happened. You may be saying, well, that elder never should have done that. Well, that elder maybe never did do that. You understand what I'm saying? When we get hurt, we can kind of slant that story a little bit. So there are two ways of approaching it. Either say, when they're talking to you, say, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. Or, that's too bad. That way I can sympathize, but what? I'm not taking sides. I'm not giving, because I don't know. And in the same way, you know, somebody, 
I wouldn't use maybe those expressions, but that's not to say if somebody you brought a friend to church and they're upset by the sermon that you don't show them sympathy, put your arm around them, whatever else, but you want to encourage them. Say, well, what was it upset you? Well, you know, the, well, I don't think that's what the point the minister was making. I think that what he was saying is, you know, we need to ask ourselves if our hearts are right with God, whatever else, and try to compliment. The point is, you want to compliment, when I, I'm not compliment the pastor, compliment work alongside the message and what the Lord was trying to do through the message. The point is, understand that when people are upset or have a negative evidence, that they're still, it's still conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's not evidence that something was wrong. And it, that's going to come closer to home for you because it won't be the pastor they're crying over. It's going to be you. <laughs> it's not going to be the pastor they're mad at now. It's going to be you who gave that Bible study. You know, when, you be, when you're the messenger of the truth, People don't understand the Holy Spirit. They can't see the Holy Spirit any more than you can see the Holy Spirit. So guess what? Who do they see? You. Who becomes the bad guy? You. When King Ahab was under conviction and the Lord withheld the rain, what happened when he saw Elijah? It's you, you troubler of Israel. Oh, yeah, I withheld the rain for three and a half years. And what did Elijah do? You remember what he said? King Ahab said, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah responded. How did he say? No, it's you who've troubled Israel and your household in turning the people to Baal. So see what happened there? What all Elijah was doing was pointing, he didn't allow Ahab to put it on him. He said, look, your issue isn't with me, it's with the Lord. This is conviction. And he put it back on, on Ahab. But that, that can be a tendency of response. For, for us, when something happens and people get, if we say something in teaching in a Bible study, they don't see anybody but us. And so you'll notice there's sorrow, there's self-justification. People start, look, what is justification? If I say you're justifying yourself, what is? Yeah, making your cause just. So what are you doing? If I say you're trying to justify yourself, what are you doing? You're making excuses. You're saying, yeah, but, you know, I don't know what I'm doing is so bad. I mean, a lot of people, whatever, some kind of justifying. Now, don't miss this. And this on a broader scale in Christianity is really important, especially as Seventh-day Adventists, when people talk about justification and you Adventists, you believe in the law. Nobody tries to justify himself or herself without an accusation. Right? Why, am I why, need to why do I need to justify myself if nobody's accusing me? The only reason justification comes up is because somebody's accusing me and now I've got to defend myself, right? Well, in the terms of biblical justification, why do we even need to talk about justification unless there's condemnation? Where's the condemnation come from? The law of God. The law of God. So the Christian world's like, you haven't, you're about the law. We believe in justification. Why do you need justification? Because you broke the law. So you don't have, there's no justification, no need for it without an accusation. And the Bible says, what the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. That's... That's where the condemnation, the Lord doesn't need to condemn. The law stands there. As, that's why we need justification. But anyway, in the context of conviction, if a person's just trying to justify themselves, what's that telling you? Okay, they're feeling what? Or condemned, accused. They're feeling accused. So already when a person begins to justify themselves, that's an evidence to you that there's conviction going on there. They're feeling accused. Their conscience is accusing them. Objections. People make objections. Well, you know, I don't know why I should have to do this. Nobody else does it. 
Well, you know, you say I ought to keep the Sabbath, but and they'll come up with a text or something. But when a person tries to object and argue a point, it's an evidence of conviction. Avoidance. This is one of the big ones. How many, how many of you have had a situation where you um, try to present the truth to somebody? That person was used to hang around. Maybe they came around the church. Maybe they were a friend at work. And you got into a conversation that was uncomfortable, and all of a sudden, you only see them across the office. <laughs> and they are on the other side, right? They walk on the other side of the street, and they see you coming and whatever else. Have you had that happen? That's, that's classic conviction. Janelle, you remember the, uh, uh, there was a lady in Pullman who came to, she was going to have, have her kids come to school and had conflict with her husband. I forget her name. You remember who I'm talking about? And it went all of a sudden, whoosh, to avoidance. The classic conviction, when a person begins, you mean you got to ask yourself, why are they all of a sudden avoiding? And why are they avoiding me? Because they don't see the Holy Spirit. What did they see? When they felt uncomfortable, who did they see? They saw you. Well, then they're saying, this person makes me feel this way. I'm just going to avoid them, and then I won't feel that way. Right? Okay. Irritability, rationalization, resistance, uh, restlessness. I can see this when I preach. There are people that will be sitting there, and when I get to a certain point, they start to get fidgety. They just can't get comfortable. They can't get comfortable. And you know that, that there are being, there's conviction. When I start making appeals, I'll watch this happen. If people sense an appeal coming, there are certain people that will get up and they'll go get a drink and never come back in the sanctuary. They think I don't know that. Your pastors know that. They watch you get up and walk out and not come back in. And they know you're under conviction. That's just how people do. You've got to learn how to read that. So you'll see people get uncomfortable. I'll start making an appeal. And what the appeal does is it makes, you know, depending on the appeal, certain appeals are more pointed. But if I were to make an altar call, people start getting real fidgety because the altar call is more, it brings everything home. It's making that personal application. So I've been listening to the sermon saying, yeah, that's true, that's true, that's true. I know a lot of people that need to do that. And then the appeal is coming, but the appeal is pointed at me. And then people start to get fidgety anyway. Evidence is a conviction. Now, the importance, again, is we need to learn that those negative responses, those responses that in the past you thought was the evidence that you weren't cut out to give Bible studies, that you weren't cut out to witness because I do this and people get upset. Well, maybe you need a little polish, but the reality is it's probably because there was conviction there. And when you learn to understand that, you can work alongside the Holy Spirit. You won't find yourself fighting against the Holy Spirit, sympathizing in a way you shouldn't. And you won't count yourself out of the game because you thought you did it all wrong. You see what I'm saying? And the benefit, the icing on the cake is, now you're going to start to recognize when you're convicted when you didn't realize you were. Now we went over this, you're going to be thinking something's going to happen and you might start to get mad at something and say, wait a minute. We learned about this in class. So uh, I want to build on, on that. Now, there are some examples in the Bible, Bible examples. Uh, I mentioned the rich young ruler. We looked at the woman at the well. The woman at the well is interesting because you see, first of all, the avoidance, right? She changes subjects. Okay? But it's interesting. I love in that story because Jesus doesn't let it sit there. He brings the subject back. And then what happens? You remember what she did? How, how did she feel when she went home? She was excited. So, look, you might have somebody who's avoiding you or they're upset, but it's not done yet. 
That doesn't mean they can't be brought about. And that's what's important. The, resi- the negative side is because they're resisting the Spirit. But all that's saying is you need to recognize that conviction and pray that the Spirit use you to help that become a positive response to the Holy Spirit. And that can happen, and we see scriptural examples of that. Okay, anyway, I've got some good quotes here. I will read to you um, two of them just for sake of time, but you can look at them later. On page 31, down, you've got a big quote in the middle of the page. I want you to look at the one right under that. The one before it is just more detailed, but it says similar uh, to what this quote says. When persons who are under conviction are not brought to make decisions, when? At the earliest period possible, there is danger that the conviction will gradually wear away. This is why when we talk about categorizing, and I talked about how you can go over to this tree and pick certain apples, and these ones will ripen later. I mean, I've known people that I've studied with that they're just not, they're not making those decisions. I can go six months and go and see them, and it's like yesterday. But if that person comes under conviction on a subject, and I let six months go by, forget about it. The conviction is going to be gone. If I let two weeks go by, conviction is going to be gone. That's why I unlock Revelation. I mean, it's been, we've been super busy after the meetings because that's where the conviction is hot, and you've got to be continuing to follow up. If you don't, you'll lose that interest. That's why you categorize your interest and you focus your attention on the ones making decisions. And some people say, well, I can't do that. I've got these other people. You don't have to abandon them. But the point is, if you, if you say, look, I've got somebody over here that's not making a lot of decisions. You know, I'm going to hold off for a little bit or I'm not going to spend as much time there and I'm going to focus my time here because this person is making decisions. You're not going to lose any ground. You're probably going to gain more ground because you'll get the decisions here you would have lost. And then sooner or later, this other person you're working with hopefully will ripen. And we'll talk again about that a little bit more tomorrow. I saw some. Did I see some hands? Yes. What if they, you know that they're on the... Yeah. So... Yeah, if they... Uh, look, you can't... There are times when you're studying with somebody, they come under conviction, and Pastor West mentioned, you go back to the house, there's a post-it note on the door and says, I don't want anything more from you. Now, I might, in a situation like that, still try to meet with them another time, but the reality is you've got to honor people's decisions. You can't... You, you can do all you can do, and then you pray, pray, pray. Here's the beauty of it, though. Don't forget this that when you're gone, the Holy Spirit is still there. The Holy Spirit does not light up on people. And all you got to do is think in your own experience, and you'll remember the times of the Holy Spirit, and you wished he would go somewhere else, and he didn't. He'll continue to work with you. Um, just the, so that I read that just to say, you know, just so we understand that importance of when a person's under conviction, working with them in that situation, which is what we're going to develop here in a moment. Oh, no, go ahead. Says that she had studied the Old Testament promise, the Lord thy God. Will Speaking about the woman at the well the chapter. The well now, the yeah, that's the chapter. Just give the chapter. If somebody wants to read that. The name is Jacob's at Jacob's Well. well. Yeah. Because she'd been reading uh, Deuteronomy 18. She's long to understand this. Yeah. 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 So the, the, the already she was being prepared for it by the Holy Spirit. Um, now I want you to look at one other quote here. I'm going to look at two other quotes. <laughs> They're so good. Number two, down on the bottom of the page, the need of, notice what it says, direct personal appeals. The secret of our success and power as a people advocating advanced truth will be found in making direct personal appeals to those who are interested, having unwavering reliance upon the Most High. I'm going to go back to something I said earlier this week. Do not be afraid to be spiritual. I'll tell you that we would have more decisions if we would simply ask for them. Don't be afraid to be direct with people. And when I say being direct with people, I'm not talking about being rude to people, 
but don't be afraid. You're talking to somebody, even in church, when you're talking to somebody in church, and, and I, let me throw this in here. When you get to a point of calling somebody to a decision, um, a, a, especially a more difficult decision, I mean, I can call a congregation. How many of you want to commit to, to spending more time with Jesus? Well, that's, everybody can do that together. But when you're working with somebody on making certain decisions, you don't want to do that when a lot of families around or something like that. Like there will be times where you're going to a house, you've been doing this study, this week is the week you know I'm going in and we're going to talk about this particular decision. And lo and behold, my sister from out of town came in and her husband, et cetera, and they happen to be there. Forget about it. You're not going and asking for that decision today. If you're there and you pull in the driveway and you get in, and this is the situation, somebody else is there, find something else to talk about and do not reason for the decision. Because a person is not likely going to do that. They're going to feel awkward and uncomfortable. Don't put them in that situation. Um, but when it's talking about, because you're, the direct personal appeals, this is where you get down to calling for a decision and you're reasoning with them about their spiritual decisions. And personal, the whole idea of direct and personal, this is where it may be even somebody in the church and you go up to somebody and this is something, if you do visits, in fact, I want to encourage you to do something. I don't care if you're elders in your church, deacons in your church, or whatever. You can visit people. Amen. I wish our church has visited more people. I, it's, pu I've, it's been pulling teeth since I've been in pastoral ministry to get elders to visit people. I don't know why it's so hard. You're elders in the church. So you know what? I say let the grassroots rise up and start visiting people. And B, don't be afraid. And here's what happens when sometimes we do visit people. It's like, we don't, we just, oh, how are you doing? Yeah, you know, uh, oh, you like, in the nice weather. You want to make spiritual visits. Don't be afraid in the course. I mean, it's so fine to talk about their hobbies and everything else, but in the course of it, say, so how are you doing your spiritual life? Are things going well for you? How's your relationship with the Lord? How's your devotional time? Now, this, again, more of a pastoral visit kind of thing, but you can ask that. I mean, I wouldn't write off the cuff, but if you're building a relationship with somebody, you're going to come to a point where if you care for their soul, Look at this next statement. Many times minds are impressed with tenfold more force by what kind of appeals? Personal appeals than any other kind of labor. Any other kind. And notice the next part. The love of God in the heart will lead them to make earnest appeals. If God's love is in your heart, you're going to come to a point. You're not, I'm not saying you're going to be comfortable about it. You might feel uncomfortable, but something's going to urge you if you're concerned with somebody's soul to make an earnest appeal. And personal, notice, tenfold more force. I'm going to tell you that if, I'm, if we're, I'm, I'm up here teaching the class, okay, I make an appeal to the class, and I'm bringing something up. You know, somebody here today, perhaps somebody here today has something in their life that's been keeping them from Jesus. And today, and listening to my voice, and we're thinking about conviction, and the Holy Spirit is talking to you about something that needs to be removed out of you. Okay, well, I can make that general appeal, and there's some conviction there. But if I come up and I say, Paul... You know, we've been studying for a while together. Maybe there's something that you've been wrestling with in your life. Is that a little more? Yeah, I mean, personal appeals. Why is that more effective, do you think? Because if I'm sitting in the sermon, I could be easily thinking to myself, I know Charity needs to hear this. She really needs to respond to this appeal. I'm, I'm praying. I'm praying that she respond to this appeal. But when it's one-on-one, -on -one, guess what? Now it's coming to me. And it makes personal application. And that, we all need personal application. 
of certain things. And especially when you're studying with somebody, you're the one the Lord has put there to lead them step by step. And there will be through that process times when you're going to make those direct personal appeals. And direct, in other words, you're not beating around the bush. You're going to talk about specifically what it is. It's personal one-on-one or maybe one-on-two or whatever. But you're also, it's also going to be the love of God in the heart that prompts that. It's going to be with love and tenderness, knowing where you were when you made those decisions. But this is where, I mean, this is really the heart of giving Bible studies is when it comes down to decision time and appealing to people to decide on what they're hearing. I want you to look at the next page, top of the next page. The second quote is talking about evangelistic meetings. Now, watch, look what it says here. After the meetings are through, there should be a personal investigation with each one on the ground. Okay, that says investigation, not interrogation. Okay, I went over this with my, my church members before our meeting. Because notice what it says. Each one should be asked how he is going to take these things. And he is going to make a personal application of them. Five words spoken to them privately will do more than the whole discourse is done. Now, let me just reinterpret that for you. What that's saying is that you just listen to the sermon by Doug Batzler and you speaking five words to somebody afterwards is going to do more than Pastor Doug did in the whole sermon. That's what, it said. That's what the prophet of the Lord says. Because it's a personal thing. It makes that personal application. And the investigation, the way I explained it to my church members before a meeting, was something like this. You're not going to shake them down after the meeting. You're going to say, wow, that was a good message. Really gave me, I, gave me some things to think about. There's some things I know I need to change. What do you think about that? So you're, you're, you're not judging them, and you're not preaching at them, and you're not talking down to them, but what it does is it brings it personally to them, makes them think. And when they hear you say that, a person may have sat through the whole sermon and thought, wow, maybe I should have been thinking more about what I should do personally. I didn't really, and it brings it home. There's a lot of power. What that's saying is there's a lot of power in your words and what you can do for the Lord Jesus, even more than the preacher. And so... Uh, with that in mind, I'm going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about the decision-making process and um, uh, what to do. Somebody asked yesterday what to do when people aren't deciding. I want to understand how that works with the decisions and then what we do when people are objecting to making decisions. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.